All of the young people whom you've seen on the screen this morning have been students in the program of Armonia. They come from the most um, remote mountain villages that you can possibly imagine. Um, Spanish is generally not their first language, and they've come to study. Um, God is doing amazing stories through the ministry of Armonia and the work of Saul and Pilar Cruz. I encourage you to come back tonight at 5.30 so that you might hear from the Cruz family um, as far as um, the future of Armonia and what God is doing. Um, It will be a good time for all of us to be together. We come this morning to praise the Lord Jesus Christ by looking into His Word and asking to hear His heartbeat. His heartbeat for the world, His heartbeat for people, and His heartbeat for us. The book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3 tells us seven times, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we come to ask ourselves this morning two questions. Do we hear? And then, what is my heartbeat? Many of us had the privilege to know Saul Cruz. Others here have only heard his name. Saul and Pilar, years ago, heard the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus. And ever since then, they have been ministering to the very poor in Mexico and beyond the borders of Mexico and to many other countries as they have taught around the world. As we look at God's Word and seek to hear His heartbeat this morning, I want you to know that Saul and his impact will be prominent in my message to you today. We begin to hear the heartbeat of Jesus after His being tempted in the desert. In the Gospel of Luke, we see that He goes back to His own hometown, Nazareth. And here in Luke, He gives His first public address that Luke records. It's a reading from God's own Word as found in Isaiah 61, an Old Testament scripture in which He is actually, Jesus is actually the fulfillment of and which allows us to hear His heartbeat as recorded there in Luke 4. Let me ask you if you are able and willing, if you would stand as we read God's Word, giving honor to it as the holy, infallible Word of God. Let me pray. Our Father, as we come together this morning, we come to hear Your Word. Would You give us ears that are open and hearts that would listen and obey. Father, thank you for this time together to hear from your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Luke 4, hear God's word, beginning with verse 16. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Please be seated. We're told here that Jesus, as was His custom, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. The synagogue was the place to go to worship and to read God's Word, as it was recorded on the scrolls of the day. And Jesus was accustomed 
to going to worship. For all of us who have been with Saul in Mexico or here, we know that Saul was very faithful in always leading us to worship our great God. I'm going to show you a very brief video in which Saul is leading the young and the old in worship. This will bring, bring memories back to some of us. They sing, we give thanks to the Lord, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your love. In the evening, the people sing praises to Christ the Savior. And in Armonia, we also sing praises to Christ the Savior. John Piper would tell us that missions exist because worship does not. Saul, as he brought the gospel in word and deed, introduced many to worship. And as we move to verse 18... Let me just say that so often we treat the Godhead as a couple, Father and Son, rather than as the Trinity that it truly is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But here at the beginning of His public ministry, the first words out of His mouth are, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. The anointing here is not the beautiful anointing that Jesus received from the sinful woman who poured perfume on His head and on His feet. Rather, it's the anointing of the Father in Acts 10, verse 38. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. If the Lord Jesus needs the Spirit to be poured out upon him, we certainly do also. We so often try to go it alone, and then when all else fails, we flee to the Lord. Anyone who knew Saul could see the presence, the anointing of the Spirit all over his life and his ministry. Years ago, I figure it was about 14 years, Saul wrote to me. At the same time, I was preparing a message from Psalm 61, where the psalm writer writes of feeling at the end of the earth. In verse 1, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. This is what Saul had to say in his letter Pilar is probably the only one here who remembers the time and the occasion that brought about these words. Last week, in a very unplanned way, we had to go shopping to a gang and prostitution-ridden area in downtown Mexico City. And after a while, as we were sipping from the bottle of water, we kept trying to hide our emotions as we felt so much moved with compassion and at the same time nauseated in a suffocating environment of pain and misery. It feels like an open wound, 
like an unfinished journey. I feel paralyzed. Pilar wants to visit the children and get them to the community center and to our home. I know what that means. We have been there before. Pain. Not addressing the issues makes me feel old, coward, weak. The mirror on the wall shows me a tired man with more and more gray hair. The mirror in my soul wants to be alone, perhaps even feeling at the end of the earth. He continues, I am trying to pray, read my Bible, sleep more, and exercise hard again to bring back the Lord's warrior, which is sleeping and hiding in me with fears of being hurt again. Pilar is suddenly crying silently again. We suddenly feel too comfortable. Please join our prayers to the Lord so that His Holy Spirit fills us with power and wisdom to take once again the painful steps of looking for the poorest and to risk to be hurt again very deep inside. There are a couple things that I want to draw your attention to from Saul's letter that are important. Saul felt as if he were at the end of the earth. And in his, in his own power and resources, he was. That is where he lived some of his life. As ministering among the poor is arduous and draining and could make anyone feel at the end of the earth. In fact, most people who work with the poor do not last very long. Maybe a year or two. But at that time, they become discouraged and burned out and so overwhelmed that they often quit. Saul and Pilar have been at it for 30 plus years. Saul prays, and I love how he invites others to pray for him, for the Holy Spirit to fill and anoint him. Jesus was anointed, we are told. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And let me just say that that includes us, brothers and sisters, for our poverty may look different, but we are poor also. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The one who is anointed in Scripture, whether it was a prophet, priest, or king, Jesus, or coming all the way to us, is set apart and consecrated to a specific endeavor. Saul had heard the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus. His compassion for people was not from within his own goodness. It was the Spirit of the Lord. And it was clear that Saul was anointed to walk alongside the poor. What about you and me? What role does the Spirit have in our lives? Are we hearing any heartbeat but our own? If you're a follower of Christ, Scripture is clear that when we trust in the Lord Jesus, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, we see that the Apostle Paul tells us to be filled with the Spirit. Do you ask God to fill you With his spirit. Ephesians 5, verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, 
for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then 1 John 2, But the anointing that you received from Him abides in you, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. You and I will never proclaim any message to the poor or the captive. You will never have a heart to give sight to the blind and set at liberty the oppressed if you have not been filled and anointed with the Spirit of God. If you have not heard the heartbeat of one greater than yourself. Jesus was anointed and set apart and consecrated to proclaim good news to the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. How do we get our minds around the concept of the poor? It's important here for us to stop just a minute and ask, who are the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed? This morning, we're going to hear from Saul. If you haven't figured it out yet, Saul and I are going to preach this sermon together. He was to to be standing right here preaching to us at this conference. We experience tensions. Tension of grieving the loss of our dear brother and rejoicing in his gain. For he rejoices right now before the Lord. He's in heaven, but I'm not letting him off the hook. He is going to be teaching us right now. One of our members, Nick Nanton, for the last year has been doing a documentary on Armonia and the life of Saul and Pilar. And I want you to hear what Saul has to say about poverty. He gives us some handles to hold on to as we consider what is poverty. Who are the poor? When we try to understand a community, a poor community, we need to remember that every community is unique. But there are some principles that you can apply to understand it. And these principles work in a proper definition of poverty. The problem is that we usually have a misleading definition of what poverty is. And this is because we, I believe that we have overvalued um, the, the economic definition on, of poverty. If we read uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica or the Encyclopedia Wikipedia, something like that, we will immediately notice that when they refer to poverty, they are thinking of the lacking of means or the lacking of resources. So in that sense, uh, poverty would be lacking uh, clothing or lacking food or lacking shelter or lacking the means to provide for oneself those things. If we um, take that um, definition on board, and we try to work with it to understand the community, we get misled. And we get misled because poverty is more than an an economic problem. Poverty is more than lacking something. And that's why so many projects and so many governments and so many attempts to deal with poverty have failed. There are billions of dollars and euros that have been spent in trying to, to eradicate poverty, and they don't work. It seems like poverty is resistant to them and just grows and grows and grows. And why? 
Because people think that by giving people, by giving uh, to the poor what they lack, they're going to make it disappear. And they don't understand that poverty really is a matter of understanding that it's a constellation of spiritual factors, psychological factors, relational factors, physical factors, and also that produce consequences as vulnerability. And so better definition of poverty needs to be sought. And what we have got to through experience, through the, our spiritual pilgrimage, through our, the good or the reading of good sources of information, and through really working out what really works and what doesn't, is a definition that inclu- includes six or seven features, which are very, very important for us. And the first one is isolation. You see, when, uh, when you find isolation, it's very likely that you're finding poverty. But not in every case of an isolated person is, uh, is poor. But it's one of the elements of poverty. And wh- what do I mean by isolation? Well, when we work with the poor, we tend to see them in mobs or in multitudes, in big groups, in neighborhoods where you go and you find house after house after house all cramped together. And you tend to think that they're not isolated unless you see deeply and you start observing and you notice that they are not organized and that they actually fear each other and that they don't understand each other. So they cannot, out of fear and out of lack of organization, they cannot tackle the problems that they are facing together. But you know, isolation doesn't come alone. Isolation, in the case of the poor, comes together with a story of exploitation. One of the moments where we could see uh, this exploitation in practice in the past was when the, the Indian or the indigenous kids would come to us for the first time. And you would notice that none of them would look to your eye. And regardless, regardless that you would treat them well and you would invite them to look at your eye, they would always be looking down and they would be shy and they would be uh, fearsome and you can understand why unless you would refer to the past when their master would beat them up or would slap on their faces just by looking at, to them at their eye. Isolation, exploitation comes together with a situation of helplessness. Um, for instance, what happens if a person who doesn't have a credit card, as I do, or uh, enough money, as I do, because I have a profession and I make money out of it, or a bank account, as I do, or friends uh, that have money and I can call and ask for a loan, or relatives with resources, has a child who's sick and doesn't have any protection from the government or any kind of social services. What happens? In my homeland, that person cannot go to a hospital with, with a sick child because the first thing they are going to say, okay, where is your card? Where is your credit? Give me a check, sign a check, or, or pro- produce the money, whatever, you see, uh, so that we will take the child. And, um, and they're changing the laws so that they will have to welcome the child, yeah, at least for the emergency. And then after the emergency, they will let the child go. But the fact is 
that he is helpless. And because people are isolated and have had this terrible story of exploitation and live helplessly, they learn to become hopeless. And they're hopeless because their sense of well-being has been taken away from them. What would you expect from a person who has been taken to a different country and has and, and doesn't see any good in the future and doesn't see, see the things that bring uh, joy to his or her life around to, to do? Well, just live a hopeless life. And that's another feature of the poor. But that also goes with other problems. The problem of seeing life in a circular way without any progression that will make them go out of their situation. So, to give you an example, if they happen to have some money, they won't use this money to make an improvement in their vicious cycle, like getting a better education, building a better house, saving for tomorrow, buying themselves better clothing for winter, or something like that, or eating better because they're malnourished. No, they will invest that money in the next festivity. So what is next fest the next festivity? New Year's Eve, or maybe the, the uh, epiphany of the wise man. They never use their resources for progression. And it's very common to find them. And because of that, you see that they don't have a sense of future. It's natural to say that they lack money that they like good housing, that they like good clothing, that they like good food, of course. But that is not what poverty is. That's the consequence of being poor. And when we confuse the consequence with the cause, then we are in trouble. And that's why we cannot remove poverty. We need to go and tap into the other problems to really start changing the consequence. When people start not feeling isolated, but as part of a community, a community that really offers protection, absence of fear, a sense of organization, a sense of achievement. When people stop feeling helpless, when feels the, the fairness of, of horizontal relationships and not top-down relationships, when the poor start feeling that they can do and achieve what uh, some changes in their environment, then they start dreaming in a better future and they start changing themselves. What we are seeking is for transformation, a transformation that comes from within, a transformation where the poor is taking responsibility for the steps that are necessary to get out of that situation. But sustainable transformation happens then when then they teach the next generation or those who come after them the same skills. And then you see a chain reaction. It's not just one go. It's something that happens and happens again, happens again. It's like powder, gunpowder that you put a match to and it goes igniting and igniting. Yes, one after the other because now there is fire. Saul Cruz gives us some handles to hold on to there in regards to poverty. I hope you caught some of them. 
Saul often took us to Matthew 9, a parallel passage to what we have already read this morning, to teach us from the life of Christ regarding how to go about the task given to us by Jesus. In verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Saul, as many of you know, had been deeply touched by John Stott's teaching. Stott would speak and share of the pattern of Jesus being eyes and heart and hands. And Saul would take that and speak to us in our groups about seeing and feeling compassion and acting out in a practical way to help. Let us see what he says here. You know, we could well define our problems just as the ones which we find inside of our building or inside of our organization. But if we acknowledge that we are there to be relevant for their lives, for their needs, then their problems are our problems. And then we have to do something with that. We cannot just ignore them. And then we have to resort to all the resources and, and, and abilities we have uh, available to deal with them. If we acknowledge that we are there to be relevant for their lives, for their needs, then their problems are our problems. And then we have to do something with that. We cannot just ignore them. And then we have to resort to all the resources and abilities we have available to deal with them. Let me go back briefly to Saul's prayer. He says, Please join our prayers to the Lord so that His Holy Spirit fills us with power and wisdom. He's praying for a filling, for an anointing, to take once again, he says, the painful steps of looking for the poorest and to risk to be hurt again very deep inside. If we are going to be relevant... Their problems become our problems. We cannot just ignore them. We have to resort to all the resources and abilities we have available to deal with them. I found out recently that Saul, in living out these very words, had not taken his salary from Armonia for about two years. He had gone back to his private practice of psychology in order to pay the bills for the family and also to cover some of the ministry expenses for food for the students, the indigenous students that had come in from the mountains to study. He lived what he spoke of. He took the painful steps of looking for the poorest, and he was always risking. But I think he would call it always trusting. If we are going to be relevant... Their problems are our problems. Sounds a lot like Jesus to me. He had compassion for them talking of Jesus because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was always pointing people to the Father, the Abba Father, the dear Daddy. Saul and Pilar have been the shepherds for many, many sheep. They have had the compassion of a father and a mother. 
Someone last night said that Saul was the father to a thousand. I want you to listen to the words of the Armonia youth that was recorded just this past month in early January there in Oaxaca. Listen to these words. Estoy muy feliz por ser parte de Armonía. En Armonía he encontrado una familia. Considero al doctor Saúl como una gran persona, la mejor persona que pude haber conocido. El doctor Saúl fue para mí como un segundo padre porque desde hace 11 años yo no estoy con mi papá, entonces no sé qué es sentir el calor de un padre. Entonces con el doctor Saúl y, con, y estando con Lupe, conviviendo con Lupe, se siente ese, ese cariño hacia ellos. Y también le doy muchas gracias a Dios que conocí a la señora Pilar y al doctor Saúl. Doctor Saúl para nosotros fue como un padre que nos daba consejos, nos regañaba. Y le doy muchas gracias a Dios. Le doy gracias a Dios por habernos permitido este, conocer al doctor Saúl y a la señora Pilar, que lo he sentido como si fueran mis padres, que me han apoyado, que me han dado este, la oportunidad de seguir aquí y que cuando a veces soy enferma o cuando me pasa algo, siempre están también preocupados por mucho. Él fue como otro padre para mí, la señora Pilaretra es otra mamá para mí, con ellos pude encontrar otra familia. Él nos ha contagiado y ahorita todos tenemos una misión que cumplir y nos sentimos muy orgullosos de, haber, de haberlo conocido. Lo consideramos como nuestro padre y con la señora Pilar, ella está con nosotros y le agradecemos mucho su apoyo. Saul y Pilar, shepherds and father and mother, pointing all of us to the Heavenly Father. Saul felt at the ends of the earth at times, and we do too. And the unexpected death of our beloved husband and father and friend, Saul Cruz, has put some of us feeling at the end of the earth. In fact, we have a high priest, Jesus, who can sympathize with our weaknesses. One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, we are told in Hebrews 4. He felt at the end of the earth, in the garden, what did he say? If this cup can pass from me, O Lord. On the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For you and for me, Jesus was literally at the end of the earth. Saul was a warrior of a man, and he prays for the Spirit to fill and anoint him. Jesus literally went to the end of his very life. Jesus was anointed not just to proclaim good news to the poor, but also to give his life a ransom for many, giving all that we might spend eternity with him. What about your life? Is it for yourself and your own comfort? Or will you dare to hear the heartbeat of Jesus? When will we stop comparing ourselves to other people and live humbly before the Lord and ask the Lord to fill us with His Spirit so that we 
might enter into our realms of influence, be that family or community or church or world. All for the glory of God. What will you risk? Let's see the end of this short video. I don't know who wrote those words. It would be easy to find out. But those words could very easily have been written about Armonia and Saul and Pilar. I will speak out for those who have no voices. I will stand up for the rights of all the oppressed. I will seek truth and justice. I will defend the poor and the needy. I will lift up the weak in Jesus' name. Will you pray for the Spirit to come and fill and anoint you and give you a heart to see the world, the men and women and boys and girls, isolated, exploited, helpless, hopeless, no sense of future. And will you do something? Saul's life, the life of Jesus, are calls to us saying, don't waste your life. Make it count starting with your own family and going out from there, however the Lord leads. The heartbeat of Jesus stopped for us on the cross. Out of His profound love for His people, Jesus gave His very life for those whom He had come to redeem. His heartbeat stopped so that ours would beat throughout eternity with Him. The heartbeat of Saul Cruz stopped here on earth on December 17th. But it is still heard by thousands of people around the world. And it will be heard because the heartbeat of Saul Cruz was the same heartbeat that we hear from his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was a heart that beat passionately for the poor and for justice. Right now... Our beloved Saul has his heart beating strong, praising and giving thanks to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. One last thing that Luke 4 tells us that Jesus said that he was anointed to do, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Not a literal year, but a period of time of the Lord's favor in bringing salvation and compassion to the needy. The phrase in Scripture is often tied to the year of Jubilee when the debts of God's people were forgiven and the lands were restored. In Christ, we find this same principle of the year of Jubilee applied to those who believe in the Lord Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile, our debts, our sins are forgiven. The term could also be translated grace. The Lord's favor, a gracious gift, has come upon us. It's not a favor that we have earned. We could not bring ourselves into the favor of the Lord, but Christ has accomplished that for us. The Lord's gracious favor 
had rested upon Saul and his family, his life, his ministry. On the morning of Saul's death, on December 17th, my son Joseph and his wife Sadie, who is from Mexico City, were riding into work together. They started talking about Mexico and a certain politician who was in the news who had been described as very wealthy. But this man was bankrupt in every other way imaginable from morality to relationships. And if you were to ask anyone, who's the richest man in Mexico? Most people would have said Carlos Slim is the richest man in Mexico. Everybody knows that. But Joseph and Sadie that morning decided at that very hour and probably just a few minutes before Saul Cruz went to be with the Lord, not having yet heard that Saul had died, they decided that the richest man in Mexico was not Carlos Slim, but rather Saul Cruz. The riches they spoke of were the true riches of friends and relationships and impact and transformation, as Saul just spoke of, in the lives of people. The administrators at the huge funeral home in Mexico City, where the memorial was held for three days, later told the Cruz family that they had never seen anything to rival the outpouring of love from the community there in Mexico City. The rich and poor, the educated and uneducated, were arriving to pay their respects to the family and to God for the life and ministry of Saul Cruz. And the people who came had a different demeanor and attitude from other people who were coming. These people had the aroma of the Lord Jesus Christ, which it had been taken to them by the love of Saul and Pilar. And these people gave testimony to that fact hour after hour and day after day. The richest man in Mexico was Saul Cruz, filled and anointed by the Spirit of God to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Beloved, may we proclaim the, and live out the year of the Lord's favor. May we, as we have been blessed, seek to be a blessing to others. May we stand with our missionaries here. And in particular today, may we stand with our beloved Cruz family and the ministry of Armonia in moving into the future, giving of ourselves and giving of our resources, trusting in our gracious Father to provide and lead and guide. If we're going to be relevant. Their problems become our problems. Might we dare to risk and trust? As we look upon the Lord Jesus and hear His heartbeat for the world, may we be about those things that Jesus was about, those things modeled to us by our brother Saul. Have you heard the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus for the world and for you, would you be willing to pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you? Would you even, like Saul, invite others to pray for you? If you would, ask a friend 
or an elder or a pastor to do that. At the end of the service, there are some chairs on both sides. Come and ask somebody to pray that God would fill you to enable you to face whatever you are facing in life right now and to be able to move forward in the grace of the Lord Jesus. If you have ears to hear, you will hear the heartbeat of Jesus for you. And you will hear His heartbeat for the world. And your heartbeat will be the same as that of Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. May God be pleased to make you and me, all of us, the richest men and women in Orlando, and Florida, and the United States for His own glory. Let us pray. Our Father, we do ask that Your Spirit would come upon us and fill us. Father, there are those here this morning who feel as if they are at the end of the earth. Father, we are not made to handle the issues of life by ourselves. Forgive us when we try. Father, would you come and fill us in such a way that we move forward into the future. Not just seeing all the hurts of the past and fearing the future, but living today for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.